Amen. Thank you, parents, for being one step ahead of me, which isn't really that difficult. And not sending your kids out during children's church, for children's church, they're supposed to stay here during the summer. I knew that. Sure, I knew that. So thank you. Smarter than me. Again, it doesn't take much. I hope you heard in those words of that song just then. That should be our prayer right there. Meet me at the foot of the cross. We've been working our way through this matter of forgiveness. The song was very appropriate for this morning. My longing for you, my longing for us as a church, is to know the blessings of forgiveness as we meet each other at the foot of the cross. And that our God would unwrap bound up hearts that are filled with hurt and pain. You don't have to spend time with people for long to see a common theme that runs through many personal struggles. So many of the problems that come into people's lives some way relate to this issue of forgiveness and unresolved conflicts. I remember a scene in the movie Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump, played by Tom Hanks, is with his friend Jenny. She had endured a childhood of abuse and neglect at the hands of her father. In one scene, Forrest and Jenny visit her old house, and Forrest watches as Jenny throws stone after stone after stone at the weather-beaten old house, which held so many painful memories for her. And when Jenny finally quits throwing rocks, she breaks down and cries. Forrest, seeing the pain, says, Sometimes there just aren't enough rocks. Doesn't it seem at times that life's wounds are so great that no amount of stone throwing could ever ease the pain? What do we do when we run out of rocks? What do we do with our past hurts? Is there anything in your past that you believe makes it impossible for you to ever experience consistent joy and freedom? Is there? That brings us to our topic this morning. And while we will look at one other aspect to forgiveness in our final week of study in two weeks from now in the book of Philemon, there's one nagging question that remains. It is a question that was on the minds of Joseph's brothers as was read a little while ago from Genesis chapter 50. It is the question that pushes us to probe the depths of our understanding of God's sovereignty and providential care. At the core, it challenges our concept and view of God. This account of Joseph gives us insight into dealing with our past. What are you carrying around? James Dobson draws a caricature that symbolizes what so many people go through in life. It pictures, it is a picture of a weary traveler who over his shoulder carries a long chain, a mile long chain. And at the end of the chain, at the end of this chain, there are attached um, uh, 
Tons of scrap iron and garbage and, and, and old uh, tires. Trash of all types. Each piece of junk is inscribed with the details of some humiliation, some failure, some embarrassment, some rejection, something painful that they're carrying around from the past. And this weary traveler could let go if he so chose and free himself from the heavy burden and load of, which mobilizes him to, and exhausts him and, 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 does, and keeps him from moving forward. He's somehow convinced, however, that he must drag this thing around through life. He's paralyzed by its weight, but nothing is forcing him to hold on to this chain. Painful paths come in all shapes and sizes. It might have been a rejection from your parents. It might be a divorce. It might be a fallout from a friend or a poor decision. All are very real. But nothing is forcing you to remain chained to your past. Nothing. What can you do about it? What's extremely helpful in our study this morning is the stark contrast between Joseph and how he deals with his past and how his brothers carry it around. So look with me at Genesis chapter 50. We're going to look at the nagging question and then look at the notable answer. We're going to look at the nagging question and then the notable answer. Genesis chapter 50, uh, first, under this heading of a nagging question, there is an assumption made. There is an assumption made. Look with me at Genesis chapter 50, verse 15. Verse 15 says, When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, What if, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us? And pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him. Now, this is more than a passing thought. It is a genuine concern on their hearts. The nagging question begins with those terrifying, pesky, troublesome two words. You notice them there? What if? Have you any what ifs in your life? What if my spouse, my spouse finds out? What if the church family sees me for who I really am? What if, if that person can see right through me now as he talks with me? What if I'm not really saved? What if my brother is, uh, in Christ is holding this matter over my head? What if he hasn't really forgiven me? What if? That's what's on the brother's minds for verse 15 says, What if? What if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? Now, in one way, it is an inevitable question. You know the story. Joseph was part of what we would call today a dysfunctional family. You can just imagine their mealtimes. They couldn't have been fun. There had to be a lot of bickering and arguing, maybe silent treatment at times. It was not home sweet home for Joseph. His sister was raped. His dad was known as a deceiver. His ten brothers could not stand him. Scripture says that the brothers could not speak a kind word to him. I'd like to grow up in that home. His birth mom died, and he wasn't even able to go to her funeral. 
Why not? Because prior to her passing, Joseph's brothers had such hatred and jealousy for Joseph that they threw him into the pit. They wished he was dead. They wound up selling Joseph off to a caravan wandering through the desert, figuring he'll go to to Egyptian slavery where they'd never have to deal with him again. We could rightly call Joseph a victim. And with a past like that, who would blame Joseph if he gave in to the advances of his boss, his wife? And when he's falsely accused and lands in jail, who could blame him if he became bitter, gave up, cursed God, and died? And 20 years later, when he meets up with his brothers again, unbeknownst to them, who could have blamed Joseph for using his position of power to get even? But Joseph would have none of that. He knew that the only thing that would keep him chained to his past would be to keep dragging his past around in the presence. Joseph could get on with life because he put his past in the hands of God. Have you? His brothers, on the other hand, were haunted by a nagging question, what if? What do we do with the what ifs? The brothers made an assumption here, you notice that? They're expecting the worst. Their fears were unfounded. Joseph had forgiven them 17 years earlier. Is your mind becoming cynical and that you're expecting the worst to happen in relationships? And once you fear that the worst can happen, your mind kind of takes over from there, doesn't it? You start to produce strange things. You've likely heard the story of the city boy who had a flat tire on a rainy night along a lonely, dark road in the country. He went to his trunk to fix the flat, and he realized he had no lug wrench. He saw a light within walking distance at a farmhouse. Well, surely the farmer would have a lug lug wrench, he thought. So he began to walk toward that light. Well, other thoughts began going around in his head. He thought, well, it's so late at night, this farmer may have gone to in bed asleep. But maybe the farmer wouldn't even answer the door. And, and even if this farmer came to the door, he's going to be angry because I awoke him from his sleep at night. And the city boy kept walking, shoes filled with water, his clothing was soaked. He thought again, oh, this farmer, I know what he's going to do. He's going to come to the door and he's going to open the door and he's going to start yelling at me. Why'd you wake me up so late at night? As he walked closer to the door, the city boy became more angry. Why would this farmer be so unkind and selfish and mean, he thought. And he finally reached the house. He banged loudly on the door, and he saw a light go on from inside on the second floor. A window opened from the second story, and the farmer asked, who is it? And the city boy, whose face was filled with anger, answered, you know who it is. It's me. And you can keep your lug wrench. I wouldn't borrow it from you if you were the last man on earth. (laughs) What did he do? He had it all made up in his mind. Have you ever walked into a situation expecting the worst? What happens? Did you notice how it gets all worked up and you're ready to fight and fears take over so that the whole situation starts off on the wrong foot, right? What assumptions Have you been making about others in the church family? 
or others in your home, the workplace, friendships that just feed your fears? What if Joseph holds a grudge? What did they assume? Well, you may recall that earlier in this story, 17 years ago, back in Genesis chapter 45, you don't need to turn there, I think you know the story. But back in Genesis chapter 45, when Joseph finally meets up with his brothers again, he reassures them that there are no hard feelings. At that time, he in essence says to his brothers, all is forgiven. God used your wrongs for the accomplishing of his purposes. Done deal, we're all set now. And we come to this scene in Genesis chapter 50 after the death of their father. And they assume, they assume that Joseph was just holding out until dad was no longer around so he could act out his vengeance on them. They figured he was hanging on to this for 17 years for such an opportunity like this to pay them back for what they did. For 17 years, they were carrying this around. And I can only wonder if a major reason for their doubts and suspicions is because that is how they would be if the roles were reversed. Isn't that often the case? We tend, get this, we tend to question the motives of others on the strength of our own attitudes. We tend to question the motives of others on the strength of our own attitudes. Stories told of two brothers who went to uh, a rabbi to settle a long-standing feud. The rabbi got the two to actually reconcile their differences and to shake hands. As they were about to leave, he asked each one to make a wish for the other in honor of the Jewish New Year. And the first brother turned to the second brother and said, I wish you what you wish me. At that, the second brother threw up his hands and said, See, Rabbi, he's starting up again. (laughs) See it? We tend to question the motives of others on the strength of our own attitudes. Puts a mirror up to our hearts. They make this assumption at least a concoction. Look at me at verse 16. So they sent word to Joseph saying, Your father left these instructions before he died. This is what you're to say to Joseph. I ask you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of the God of your father. And when their message came to him, Jesus wept. Uh, Yeah, Joseph wept. Joseph wept. Now, it reminds me of Proverbs 28 verse 1 when it says, The weak, wicked flee, though no one pursues them. Some people today are running as if being chased when it's only their guilty conscience that nags at them. They've already been forgiven by Joseph 17 years earlier, yet they're running and they're scheming and they're plotting. They concoct this story about dad's last words. It's all a lie. The plea was quite messy. The whole thing's wrapped in a lie. So I suppose you might question the sincerity of such a plea for forgiveness. Yet I believe, yet I believe they do in some twisted way seek Joseph's forgiveness. I mean, it's not tight. It's not smooth. But they ask for his forgiveness in this letter, in this plan. They ask for it twice. 
They call what they did in this letter a, a sin. They call it a wrong. They say that, that, that we treated Joseph badly. They don't use phrases you commonly hear when it comes to confession, things like, oh, a lapse of judgment. Or, you know, that was a mistake. Or, yeah, I know, I know, a slight misstep. There was one boy confessed, Dear Jesus, I am so sorry I made such a mess in my room today, but I sure had a lot of fun doing it. (laughs) That's not a confession. That's not a confession. And I believe the brothers here were sorry enough to quit making a mess. And it says that when Joseph received this message, what did he do? He wept. And I think some men would be pretty uncomfortable with this man, Joseph. If you follow his narrative, uh, he, he sure cries a lot. Seven times I counted. Seven times he cries in this story. Why the tears here? Well, his tears communicate sadness that the brothers did not believe Joseph's sincerity. Are you trying to move on? And yet, no matter what you do, others look on with suspicion. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's heartbreaking to watch people not accept the forgiveness they have been given. Some find it hard to believe they've been forgiven by God. Then they live not as forgiven people, but in self-condemnation. Their entire Christian life then consists of trying to get into God's favor or or with guilt over the past or or constant beating up of themselves or in this paranoia that someday God's just going to zap them for what they did 17 years ago. Some live that way. It's heartbreaking to watch. Even worse, to be the one stuck in it. What do you do with such misgivings and doubts? Martin Luther wrote, he said, Feelings come and feelings go, and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Though all my heart should feel condemned for want of some sweet token, there is one greater than my heart whose word cannot be broken. I'll trust in God's unchanging word till soul and body sever, for though all things shall pass away, his word shall stand forever. And often our hearts do condemn us. But God is greater than our hearts, Scripture says in 1 John. The antidote for doubts and self-condemnation, a strong grasp of God's Word. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8.1 tells us. And these brothers here were stuck in self-punishment. And the question nags at them. They make an assumption that leads to concoction and then it leads to action. And verse 18 tells us in Genesis 50 that they threw themselves at Joseph's feet. And don't you secretly wish, be honest here, don't you secretly wish your enemy would throw himself at your feet? (laughs) Yeah. What would you do if he did? Joseph's faced with a decision here. Will he use his position of influence to hurt them a bit? Would he just kind of kick them a few times while they're down there? You know, just a little slight back kick in the back of the head? They're down there anyway. Might as well kick them once or twice. Listen, these guys ruined many years of his life. He spent his 20s in jail accused of something he didn't do. And they fall at his feet. 
Joseph must decide what to do. What will he do? And we go from the nagging question to the notable, no-nonsense answer. Joseph's answer is remarkable. We see the tears he cried, but also the truth he conveyed. Look at verse 19. I want to read it slowly. Verse 19. But Joseph said to them, Don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? He did not want to play God in their lives. He has lots of power at this point in his life, and he could have really given it to them if he wanted to. Joseph would have none of that. Let me ask you, what was it? What was it that enabled Joseph to deal with his situation even when it looked bleak? What was it that allowed Joseph to resist temptation? What was it that gave him the strength to endure hardship, handle false accusations, and face mistreatment? What was it? His theology. We see the answer right here. What he believed about God. Look at verse 20. You intended to harm me, but God. But God. Underline that. But God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Now, I want you to notice something here, that he doesn't deny the evil done. In dealing with our past, don't minimize or trivialize the offense. Sometimes in the Christian community, a lot of pretending takes place when suffering hits. Oh, I'm fine. I love troubles. I love pits. I love being stripped. Oh, this is great. Praise God. My house burned down. I'm happy in Jesus. It's bogus. Come on, it's bogus. I can safely say this. It will come up eventually. The superficial smiles, the false claims, it will come out eventually. Platitudes and cliches won't cut it. Joseph says candidly, you intended to harm me. They did. Their intent was to get this dreamer out of their hair. You meant, but God. You meant, but God. That's the only answer to that nagging question, what if? It's the only answer to our fears and doubts and suspicions and cynicism and the handling of a past hurt, no matter what the intent of the perpetrator might have been, you meant, but God. You meant, but God. Let me read verse 20 again, then pick up verse 21 as well. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for, our, for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives, verse 21. So then, don't be afraid. I'll provide for you and your children. And he reassured them, and he spoke kindly to them, which is literally, he spoke to their heart. He spoke to their heart. Now, do you hear any self-pity in these verses? Do you hear any poor, poor me in his words? 
Do you hear vengeance? Is there ego in, this, in, this, in these words here? No. No. Why is he able to say something like this? Because Joseph believed in a God who was bigger than his hurts. Joseph was free from carrying around the chain of bitterness, the chain of pain, and all the hurt because he had right thinking about the God he served. And because of that, he could forgive. And conversely, the brothers carried around the chain of guilt that tormented them in the fear of what might happen to them. And for 17 years, they did not believe they were really off the hook for what they did. For 17 years, they were chained to their past. For 17 years, they lived as though uh, the, the intended harm could not be used by God. For 17 years. I have seen people like this. I remember a dear saint, a woman of the faith, who was very involved in the ministry of the church, yet over a wrong done to her and her child, her entire world changed. Instead of vibrancy that she once had, instead of service, dedicated service to the Lord, she wilted away in bitterness. I watched it before my eyes. And to this day, ten years later, she only has you meant. Never been able to get to but God. And like Joseph, Donna and I and many others have shed many tears over this one person. Gradually. Who loses? The comic strip, Amos and Andy. Amos was kind of getting fed up with Andy whenever he came up to him. He was kind of slap him on the chest every time. Over and over again, he'd slap him on the chest. So Amos decided he was going to fix Andy once and for all. So he, he tied some explosives to his chest underneath his jacket. And he proudly said to himself, Oh, the next time Andy slaps me on the chest, he's going to blow his hand off. (laughs) Now think about that. We laugh. Amos hadn't thought through the consequences of his retaliation, but isn't that like holding a grudge? We say, ah, we're getting him. He's miserable. How you doing? They've moved on. They've forgotten. Who does it damage? Who gets the worst of it? Spiritual vibrancy and joy cannot coexist with grudge holding and resentments. It cannot. This is what it comes down to, loved ones. If for you to get unstuck, if you are, and if your joy in life is riding on people getting it together, or people being trustworthy, or people changing, or people coming to you and making it all right, then you're going to be miserable and chained to your past. But if your hope and your joy and your fulfillment and your sanity are riding on the fact that no matter what evil people do, God is bigger than you're able to let go of the chain of the past. How many days, how many weeks, months, years have you been living like an unforgiven person? What's the what if that you need to resolve real soon? What was the evil intent aimed at you? What is the harm inflicted on you? Can you, like Joseph, say this morning, you harmed me but God. You ruined years of my life but God. You hurt me deeply but God. You meant but God. 
You see what God did with their intended harm? He used it for good. What was the good? It will accomplish God's purposes in the saving physically of many lives. Do you see what this is saying? Do you see what this says about God in relationship to your pain? God will not waste your pain. God will use what you have had to go through for the saving of lives, for the reaching of others with the good news of Jesus Christ. It is in your pain and in your brokenness that you're able to speak about the goodness of God. It is in your heartache and those sleepless nights, your your high blood pressure, your times of, of just being fit to be tied, that you're able to speak into others' lives. God will use it. Isn't that amazing? Only God can do that. I mean, it gives me chills thinking about it. Life really is a tapestry that God is weaving together. And from the bottom of the loom, all we see are the knots and the confusion and isolated events you meant. It only makes sense from the top. Only there do we see the glorious portrait of what God is doing but God. So the nagging question what do I do with my past hurts? Be bitter, hold grudges, wallow in self-pity, remain angry? Nah, I've been there. Those aren't the answers, at least not for those who want to finish strong and live by walking in the blessings of forgiveness. It is loving those who do us wrong. It is forgiving those who sinned against us. It is going through life blessing as many people as you can. How do we live that way? You meant, but God. You intended, but God. What is your you meant, but God? What wrong do you need to leave in the custody of God who judges justly? Can you hand your situation over to the one who has all the information and who will judge with pinpoint precision accuracy? What is on your chain? that you're carrying around, that's weighing you down in your walk with the Lord. Is it time to let go of the past hurt and grab a hold of God's purposes? Consider with me for a moment. Seeing life as hanging from a trapeze. The trapeze bar that you're on represents your life of predictability, your comfort zone in the way. You kind of want to stay there. Then God swings another trapeze into your view. You're faced with a perplexing dilemma. Should you relinquish your past? Should you reach for the new bar? Or should you just kind of keep swinging on the bar that feels so comfortable and so much a part of your life? The moment of truth comes in when you realize that to grab the new bar, you must release the old one. Your old bar may involve the hurt of rejection. It may be the intense pain of mistreatment. It may be the overwhelming sense of shame. It may be a past sin that paralyzes you in fear. God swings a new bar in your your direction. He wants you to gain a whole new perspective. He wants you to begin building a new life, to accept his forgiveness, to discover a new life filled with grace and joy and freedom, vibrancy. He wants you to know freedom and healing from your past. And nothing is forcing you to hold on to that bar, that chain. But can you trust in God to forget what is behind and strive toward what is ahead? You meant, but God. You meant, but God. 
through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. Can you say that? Can I say that? Let's pray. Lord, help us to trust you. Even with our hurt, especially with our past hurt. Because then we're able to truly speak into the lives of others. As broken people who have been patched up and repaired by the Almighty God, we're able to go into the world of broken people and speak life words to them and put courage into them and speak your word to them because not only do we know it in our heads, we have experienced in our hearts and lives and we can be real and transparent. Oh God, use all the past hurts in our lives for the accomplishing of your good, of your purposes. May we reach for the new bar and put the old behind and strive toward what is ahead. You know what that is for each of us. Not speaking to one person today other than my own, my own heart. You do the rest. You do the application. You do the personal touch in each person's life. So we each can come away with it this morning and go, wow, God, you spoke to me. May it challenge us and may we truly be able to say through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.